Hey friends, this is Caitlin Beatty. Roxy and I are delighted to be back for a special summer series of Saved by the City. And for this four-part series, we will really be talking about the topic of celebrity in the church. You might say that we have a critical view of the role that celebrity plays in the church. I recently wrote a book called Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets Are Hurting the Church. And we thought we'd take this special summer series to draw out some of the themes that I really didn't get to delve into as much as I wanted to in the book. So for the next four episodes, join us as we dive into the topic of celebrity in the church. Roxy, did your mom, Sharon, ever get into the aerobics craze of the 80s? Oh, did she? Yes. We had a church aerobics ladies group. And they got together at the elementary school gym on Saturday mornings. This was like spiritual spandex. And the leg warmers, the calf warmers, you know, (laughs) those were cool. I never saw my mom do aerobics in a church, but she would get up early and do Richard Simmons' Sweat into the Oldies Volume 3 in our living room for like at least a few years. I would do aerobics now if it was like set to Amy Grant's heart in motion or something. Can we call it glutes for God? That's the only way I'm involved. We will absolutely call it glutes for God. Jazzin' for Jesus. Biblical biceps. Praising with presses. The Old and New Testament of your body. Gains for glory. Temple toning. <laughs> From Religion News Service, this is a special summer series of Saved by the City, I'm Roxy Stone, and I'm pretty giddy about today's guest. And I'm Caitlin Beatty, and I am too, but I'm a little nervous I'm not Texan enough. Roxy, we're in the final episode of Say by the City Celebrity Edition, and we're pretty jazzercised to be joined mm-hmm. by someone today who used to lead Christian aerobics classes, like evangelistic aerobics. That is true. And also, I feel like you're burying the lead a bit. Since the aerobics classes has become the most popular women's Bible teacher of the past 50 years, maybe of all time. Hard hard to say. I don't know if they started keeping track of that before 50 years ago. But <laughs> I mean, the last 50 years is a big claim in and of itself because there there are a lot of women Bible teachers, but she is one of the most popular Bible teachers of all time. And a best-selling author and speaker. And one of the few people who makes Twitter bearable. It's true. Beth Moore genuinely loves Jesus and people. She has a wicked sense of humor. And somehow she takes all the flack she gets from the Theo bros in stride, which is no small feat. And there's been quite a lot of flack lately. (laughs) Although I think it started, I want to say, 2016. Yeah, the flack isn't just about her having a crush on Jesus, which, by the way, like all the saints use that kind of language. So what are you even worried about? We're much more explicit. (laughs) Yes. But no, the flack started several years ago, just as Beth was starting to speak publicly about politics, which she had not done prior to 2016, to my knowledge. Yeah, I at least I don't remember her doing so. I mean, I remember it was really after the Access Hollywood tapes where she really started, 
you know, speaking up like this is not okay and it's not okay for us to support a man who would do this. Also, it went hand in hand with her beginning to speak up about the sexual abuse crisis within the Southern Baptist Church as well and sharing her own story mm-hmm. of sexual abuse and talking about, you know, it wasn't just sexual abuse, but also like a misogyny that Mm -hmm. she had really borne witness to for a long time as a women's Bible teacher within the Southern Baptist Convention. It wasn't just about the fact that she was willing to break rank from, I would imagine, the majority of Southern Baptist pastors and members in speaking out directly against Trump and criticizing him directly. It was also about her saying, kind of peeling back the layer of her persona and saying, Mm -hmm. I care about this issue because I myself have experienced sexual abuse and misogynistic attitudes and behaviors my whole life. And I think a lot of women in the church said, yeah, me too. Like Mm -hmm. she is, she is giving voice to something that we have experienced in staff meetings at church (laughs) on evangelical boards at uh, evangelical magazines, even if not abuse or harassment, like an attitude in the church Mm -hmm. that devalues women's perspective and contribution and really lets men get away with things, you know? She had an established platform, but also it was an established platform within the Southern Baptist Convention. She was very solidly within the Southern Baptist Convention as a Bible teacher for women Mm -hmm. because the Southern Baptist Convention does not allow women to preach to mixed gender audiences to be pastors. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like she was very comfortable in that space. She was comfortable... Mm -hmm teaching women. She was comfortable with sort of the role that women played in the Southern Baptist Convention, that men were the pastors, the elders. And I think that was part of what was very like five alarm bell, you know, about her speaking up was like she had sort of lived comfortably Mm -hmm. in that space or seemed to be living comfortably in that space for a long time. And suddenly it was like, oh no, you know, Mm -hmm. this is She's speaking up against Donald Trump, and she's also speaking up against a lot of ways that she has felt diminished over the years within an institution that she loved and cared for. But she was also voicing, like, this institution has also hurt me as a woman and made me feel lesser than. Yeah, that's really well said, Roxy. I think the implication in some of the circles that she's been in in the past is it's not just about women preaching from the stage. It's also we want and need women to stay in their lane, to stay silent and submissive, to let the men handle the big conversations about public policy and who should be our president. You are not following script. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, no, little lady, you're not following the rules. Right. And you're firing up all of the other little ladies. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that's where you kind of get to the dynamic of fear. Yeah. Like now we've got a mob. Beth Moore has a kind of power mm-hmm. to speak on behalf of women who are also fed up to reflect their experiences, to call for change. And we don't like that. Yeah. And by many 
standards, a lot of people would say, of course, Beth Moore is a celebrity in terms of her following and best-selling books and packing out stadiums of people who want to listen to her. But I, I think she is really a good model of someone who you know, had fame come to her and at some point asking, now that I have this, how do I steward it well? If you have that kind of social power, you could be tempted to just kind of hoard it for yourself and build right. your own little kingdom and keep your kingdom safe. But I think what was so refreshing about Beth speaking out, you know, in 2016 and beyond is here's someone who is actually willing to risk her following her reputation, her book sales, her conference events. Like, yeah, she did lose followers. Like she, she lost did. people. It came at a cost. It did come at a cost. And I think even Beth Moore has said and would say, I should have said more sooner. And, you know, I think that's something that she's wrestled with that a lot of women with platforms have wrestled with. Well, not just women, but, you know, mm-hmm. a- around the Southern Baptist, like sexual abuse crisis, around racism in the church, around misogyny. Like, I think Donald Trump and the Access Hollywood tapes were galvanizing in a massive way Mm -hmm. and to Beth Moore's credit she has not shut up since about any of it Mm. Um, and has Mm -hmm. you know has doubled down and tripled down and has become an advocate in more ways than one for marginalized Mm -hmm. folks in conservative circles Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of us get to that point like I know Mm. I can say that I mean I don't have the same kind of platform but you know, I think there's ways that I can look back at certain times in my life and places I've worked or opportunities I've had where I'm like, I feel like I wish I'd spoken up sooner. I wish I'd said more. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think when you are in those spaces, Mm -hmm. as you said, like it does come at a cost to speak up and you will risk something to do it. And I think that that's part of what we wanted to talk about on this podcast is like how and when and why do you use your platform in ways that might be a risk to you, but are a way that you can support the marginalized or speak truth to power Mm -hmm. to push back in ways that will cost you. I wonder for women in particular, if part of that path of gaining the courage to use your platform to speak up is getting over the idea that everybody will like you and agree with you. Mm. (laughs) Like that your job is just to kind of be nice and not rock the boat too much and right. just make sure that you appease every possible person. There's something refreshing about deciding that's not actually my responsibility in the world to get everybody to like me and agree with me. And I'm not saying put people on blast mindlessly like, and therefore be right. a jerk. I just mean... I think for women in particular because of how we have been taught to be good Christian women, it can be tempting to think that that's what we should do. Like, not only have we been sort of socialized to want everyone to like us, but also in the church that takes a real, like it's been very spiritualized as well, in a dangerous fashion for women so Mm -hmm. that rocking the boat feels tantamount to potentially endangering Mm -hmm. people's souls. My impression of Beth for the last several years is that she's like free. I think so. Well, I mean, she literally left the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, that's one part of the story is Mm -hmm. that they got super mad at her for preaching a Mother's Day sermon a few years ago. She definitely became like a number one target and could do nothing right. And, 
you know, mm-hmm. I think it was a mm-hmm. it was a very painful break for her to leave this denomination that I think she felt like really saved her life mm-hmm. when she was younger. You know, I think Beth is on a journey and I don't know where she's going to end up or where she's going to land. But I think watching her the last several years, it's been kind of a fascinating journey to watch unfold. Coming up, Beth Warren joins us for a candid conversation about her own fame and why she wouldn't wish it on anyone. Could I ever possibly tell a young speaker to seek it or want it? I would tell her or I would tell him, don't even think about it. If the Lord puts you in that position, do what you got to do. But all you Mm. can hope to do is survive it. That's that's just it. But it, it was so very stressful. Before we hear from Beth, we want to tip our hats to the organization that makes Saved by the City possible. Religion News Service is an independent, award-winning source of global reporting on religion, spirituality, culture, and ethics. For the best in religion reporting, visit religionnews.com. And we'll be back with a brand new season of Saved by the City in a couple weeks. If you like what we're doing and want us to keep doing it, let us know by giving us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcasts. As we're wrapping up our summer series, I wanted to share the good news that my book, Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets Are Hurting the Church, is now out in the world. If you buy the book through Baker Bookhouse, you get 40% off plus free shipping. Visit bakerbookhouse.com to learn more about Celebrities for Jesus. Today's guest is Beth Moore, founder of Living Proof Ministries and the author of several Bible studies and books, including the forthcoming memoir, All My Knotted Up Life. She regularly tweets about her husband, Keith, her daughters, Amanda and Melissa, her dogs, and her donkey neighbor. Oh, and grapes. We're so excited to talk to you, Beth. As Roxy and I were thinking about who to talk to in the church about navigating fame well. (laughs) You, Beth, were at the top of our list. We're so delighted to have this conversation with you. Welcome. Well, I have been very anxious to have it with you. And let me tell you something. I hope that word well is relative because I do not feel like I've done well with it. But what Mm -hmm. I am up for, you two, is a good conversation because I think Mm -hmm. this is as important an issue as we could possibly be talking about among people of faith. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to have it. I, I wish we were having it in person. I wish we were having it all evening long. I wish we were having it over queso. Oh, yeah. I do, Same. too. I do, too, on, on my table, on my very Agreed. table, in my very den. And it does feel, you may not think you've done it well or something, but it does feel like something we're all kind of, figuring out as we go along because the world has changed a lot, even in the time that you've, you know, had a platform. Well, dramatically, for one thing, I couldn't wait for the book to come out because I was very anxious to read it. I have seen all of this from the inside. Mm. I rode this wave. I couldn't have planned it that way, could not have seen it coming, but I have been out in all of these places Mm -hmm. So I have been as far into this, I think, as you could possibly get. So Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it as an outsider, which would bring Mm -hmm. a whole different kind of perspective to it. I've Mm -hmm. seen it as an insider. And so I was very anxious to hear it from various angles and Mm -hmm. try to grapple with it and try to grapple with what part of 
this whole thing has been God's doing and God's will and what part of it has been God's chastisement. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. And I don't have the answers to all of that, but I am anxious to have the conversation. I think that's where answers begin is knowing what questions to ask. So you just reflected on the fact that you've seen Mm. how celebrity works kind of, you've had Mm -hmm. a very deep insider view for. I've been in the green room, girl. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yes, I've been in the that, green room. Yes, that ma'am. is a perfect metaphor yes, for what we're talking about. But going back, you know, you're starting out in your ministry as a Bible teacher and writer. When you think back to that woman, kind of before Beth Moore was the yes. Beth Moore, and I know you don't like, you wouldn't like that framing anyway, but before fame had come to you, when you look back, like, what would you tell that woman to prepare her for all that would unfold and come and to be maybe mindful of as your platform and your, the spotlight grew bigger and bigger. You know, I I love the question, what would you tell your younger self? Because in some of these cases like this one, Caitlin, I would not know how to even find the language to get her to understand what was coming. I would Mm -hmm. not have had a paradigm for it. There just was no way to be prepared for it. I will tell you one thing, a little bit of my journey, and I don't know how it's worked for everyone, but I would imagine for a lot of people, it's like it was for me in that I was probably speaking even in college. I just would not have called it that, but I was chaplain of my sorority at a at a Texas uh, university, and then I was president of the sorority. So I was up in front of them all the time. I had surrendered my life to Christ at 18. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I was just going to do whatever he put in front of me. But one of the things that has been a a lifesaver for me to the degree that my life is saved, and I don't mean of course I'm saved spiritually. I just mean, woo, I'm still so in it. But to the mm-hmm. degree that I have survived it, and I want to I want to say this to both of you, I don't think you can thrive in it. I don't think any, I do mm. not think, let me make up a word here, that it is thrivable. I think what I have done is survived it. And so I think that's the best thing I have to say. I have not Mm. done it well, but I am in one piece on this other side of it. And so Mm. when I'm trying to think back, I know it's the absolute grace of God, but I think one thing he used is that I always loved what I was presently doing. I don't know exactly how to explain that. When when I first began, uh, I was 18 years old and teaching sixth grade Sunday school, and I loved it. I would have told you the whole world was in that group of six, mm. uh, sixth grade girls. I just, yeah. I absolutely loved them. And then one too long after that, I won't get into the whole ordeal of how one thing built on another, but then I was teaching aerobics and I just absolutely loved it. My class was, that was just, you know, the ultimate to me. I, everything I got to do, I taught Mother's Day out as a young mom because I needed a way that I could take uh, my babies with me. Uh, mm. to and make a little bit of money, which is absurd to think about now because I'm sure I did not make a, enough to even go to the trouble, but um, <laughs> still a way to just get out with the kids. Uh, I I have a natural tendency to like people. 
mm-hmm. and to like what I'm presently doing. So I didn't, I wasn't scrambling to get big. Mm-hmm. And that was helpful. When I first wrote the Bible studies, I wrote them with a group in Houston. I was teaching a Sunday school class by then. And then I started teaching a Thursday class at a, at another church where we could go a little bit uh, further and a little bit longer. And so that's where I started uh, writing Bible studies is because they asked me to write homework. And so I didn't even try to publish them. I had a publisher come for them and then turn them back to me that they didn't want them after all. And then they changed their mind again. And that's part of the story. But, but I loved that. I didn't always look at the horizon of how this could be bigger and better. So Mm -hmm. that I think probably was a help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So it's like you were very present in it, not thinking like, how is this a stepping stone to the next thing or climbing up? That was not the next rung on the ladder. I always thought it was the thing. I don't know yeah. how to explain it, but whatever rock it was, I, I always thought this is the rock. This mm-hmm, is a rock. Mm-hmm. And I I liked the people I was working with and, you know, we'd have a good time with it. Like those days I was teaching, I loved everything that reflected in any way, Caitlin, on the whole realm of Christian contemporary music and all of that kind of a feel. Because again, this is why I'm, I was looking forward to having the conversation with you. I really, there are not many things I could tell you that I lived a parallel life through. But what we're talking about between the three of us, I absolutely mm-hmm. have. This was just as as far into the whole Christian contemporary movement as you could mm. possibly go. And so, you know, I, I choreographed all my aerobics routines to Christian music because everything, you know, everything I was doing, <laughs> I'd already already given my life, uh, my whole future, my whole work, everything to the Lord. So everything was ministry. And I, I just, I loved it. I loved teaching mm. Sunday school. I can tell you, though, when the thing happened, I can tell you exactly when where I felt like I had gotten on a plane and we'd been just rolling down the tarmac, but, you know, just kind of bouncing along and you're doing just fine. And then suddenly it, it takes up speed and takes off. And the feeling of, of being on something that you don't know how to stop or Mm -hmm. where it goes or how, in the beloved name of our Lord, the thing ever lands. When the event world really took off and started to peak was before you could have podcasts, before you could see them any Mm -hmm. other way. So you'd read their books or you'd done their Bible study, but now you could see them live. And so this is where the crowd starts swelling like this. And this is where I would tell you, something began happening that I did not begin to know what to do with. And that's when then we started selling out arenas. And that was a ride. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you ask, because I don't know what y'all want to know about it, but that was when (laughs) the thing, so I was about 40 when I would tell you that there was an acceleration and it was all over the place. It would have been, in lots of events, the, uh, you know, passion movement, all those things yeah, where mm-hmm. arenas were just filled with people. 
And then, of course, there was nowhere for that to go uh, when there got to be access through every kind of screen of possible. There was no way really mm-hmm. to sustain that, but don't think it was not tried. Mm. So as that was happening, as you're finding yourself in this like accelerating plane and taking off and you're in arenas and, mm-hmm. you know, people are cheering for you and there's so many people who are excited about you. How, what is your advice? How did you stay grounded? How did you prevent yourself from beginning to believe your own hype? Or, yes, or did you? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I love discussing this because, of course, it's it's very complex. It's sort of all mm-hmm. of the things. But one of the things that was an aid to me, it did not feel like an aid to me at the time. It is only in retrospect that I see it as a grace of God. But I have to tell you that I never adapted my stress level to it. It scared me to death. I have friends that say that they were not frightened by it and intimidated by it. Okay, I just want to give you a picture. I want you to feel I want you to feel it in your stomach with me that you are backstage. Well, first of all, you've been to sound check and you are in a room with 20,000 seats in it and it is sold out for that night and tomorrow. And you are the only speaker and then you've got your worship team. Mm-hmm. I cannot even put language around the kind of stress that carries. I Mm. cannot begin to describe to you what it is like to be back in that hall. I literally could feel the acid coming up in my throat right now. Mm. It's a wonder that my chest is not splotching because I could relive every single bit of the emotion that went with this and the stress of Mm -hmm. being out in the hall and looking through the archways into the arena, seeing seeing the lights, seeing the lights go down and the timer go down because we always mm. had a timer. Mm-hmm. And then walking out to my seat, I, I don't even know how to explain it to you that I have a lump in my throat telling you this, but it just was a lot. And at mm-hmm. any time, I could have just bent over and thrown up. Uh, when I got up there, well, praise and worship was just huge. So that would, you know, I could just get caught up in that. But by the time I got up on the platform and I prayed and we could get into the scriptures, then then I could settle down. But mm-hmm. I always found it super, super stressful and scary. A lot of fun things happen. I cannot say that we did not have fun, that we did not make a million memories But I say this to you truthfully, and I wish we were just looking straight in one another's eyes so that you would know that this is with earnest because it's going to sound it's it's going to sound very rehearsed. But I do not wish for that again for Hmm. one minute, not one, not one. It was something that it was a, a wave that I rode with the Lord And with my team, it was something he put in front of us. Could I ever possibly tell a young speaker to seek it or want it? I would tell her or I would tell him, don't even think about it. If the Lord puts you in that position, do what you got to do. But all you Mm. can hope to do is survive it. Mm. It's so, it's really interesting to hear you say very clearly, Beth, you would not wish that upon any young leader Anyone. to have that kind of crowd. No one. If it comes no to you, just try to hang on and survive by God's grace, but do not try 
to get there with your own effort? Steward it. Steward it. Try to ask God to help you survive it. Don't, Don't go looking for it. This is a conversation we're having as people of faith, because if we were out in a more secular environment having this conversation, this wouldn't even make sense. I'm talking about for people of faith, followers of Jesus who are called to continually point to Christ and glorify God rather than self, we've been called to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus, then nothing could be more antithetical to that than self-glory and seeking fame. So we're putting ourselves already at odds. There's no way for it to work. So mm-hmm. for any believer to go into it thinking, I just want to be a big influencer, I cannot say strongly enough, what you want to do is nurture your relationship with Jesus and follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if in following him, he walks up on a platform where you have a thousand people you're talking to, then you follow him up on that platform. And then when he goes off of it, you follow him off of it. And then you just hang on for dear life because it's mm. not going to turn out well. Again, you you might survive <laughs> it, but you're not going to thrive in it and neither is your group. You're not going to. Yeah, I mean, the reality of any idol, what you're, what we're talking about is idolatry and glorifying the self over instead of glorifying God and idols promise something really great at first. And we get a little hit of what they promise. And then over time, the diminishing returns and the stress and the pressure, you know, all idols take more and more from us. And I just think we're in this moment where we are seeing so clearly the effects that celebrity has. And it would have taken this long, you know, wouldn't it? (laughs) It would have taken this long to see that now, to me, in my opinion, it's unraveling. So now we're mm-hmm. watching it seems like we're it. watching it come apart like like a rope that's just unbraiding and now we're seeing this is what we were we we either set ourselves up for or were set up for and mm. I think we have to take responsibility for it from all angles. I don't think that it's just the person. I think it is also the people that make celebrities right. out of the person. Oh, yeah. I also think it is publishers. And I love the publishing relationships that I have. But let me tell you, they better own it as well. That is a, it is a tripod of trouble coming. And it's coming from all three. The celebrity, those making them the celebrity, who are going to turn on them, by the way. It is not Mm. that they may. They absolutely will. Anyone who can adore you can abhor you in a flat second. That mm-hmm. anytime it gets into the weird zone, it's because that's not real love. So and then right. and then publishers. Um, and here's what I want to say to y'all. I think I had the best of it. And that's what I can say is I, I got to work with people who were very real about, about their faith all along um, to mm-hmm. this to this day. But that helped us a lot, but it did not keep us from the monster. It couldn't. Yeah, I mean, all the metaphors that come to mind when we're talking about this is something that is beyond your control Yes, that will destroy you or eat you alive if you're not extremely careful. Yes. And would you know? Would you know? How long would we be out there and the monster would have 
overtaken us and we would have literally become it. And how mm. would how, would we know? Could we see it in the mirror? I, I don't know. Mm. I, I don't know. I, I just find that to be so, so scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One reason we wanted to talk to you for this episode in particular is because you have used your platform to stand up for some pretty big issues, which I think, I guess, if you're going to have a platform that might eat you alive, like that's one reason to have it. And that includes, you know, I think most recently that includes, of course, pushing back against evangelical support for Donald Trump, against sexism and sex abuse, against racism. Yes. For you, why was it so important to use your platform that way to push back against power and speak up for the marginalized in those ways? The most wonderful part of what I have been through over these last six years, the saving grace of it has been that I didn't make a decision. I didn't think, I didn't weigh out the options. Mm -hmm. I'd have had to have been an entirely different person in my insides, in my liver and kidneys and in my lungs and in my heart, I'd have had to be a totally different person not to react like I did. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I never have to spend any time asking myself what I did to myself because I cannot imagine a world. Okay. Let's think first of all, in regard to women and what Mm -hmm. really began the big controversies. I was already very controversial before this, but on a much broader scale that was just honestly the burning at the stake socially. And the bad part about a social burning at the stake is that you never die. It's like good grief. It, <laughs> oh at God. least if you know, it would only take like 12 hours if you were in an actual fire, but the fire keeps burning and you keep not dying. That's the worst part is you're standing in front of a, of a firing squad only you just like, it's like, when do I give up the ghost? But you just don't, and you just keep shooting. But the one, the one thing I, how in the world would I have spent my entire adult life, so that would have put me to almost 60 at that point. I'm 65 now. How in the world have I given my whole life to serving Jesus by serving women? And I would have been in that situation and not reacted on behalf of women. There's no mm-hmm. there's no world. So at least that that Roxy is is probably the most comforting part of it is that I know that it wasn't going to go any other way. I don't have mm-hmm. to look back and think, well, you really should have kept your mouth shut. The, I mm-hmm. could not have done it. And not only that one time, but then every time after that, I would tell you, I, I mean, I would just pray about it. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. And up it would come. Up it would come. It'd be like it was... I could not shut my mouth. I would, I would just look. I think, what, what are you mm-hmm. doing? But it just was too fundamental. Those things were too fundamental. And I've said so many times because I think this is important. Because people say, "Why did you get into politics?" Oh, I did not get it. I had, mm-hmm. I had political activity on my in my personal life. I'd never ever made that a, a public thing. No, mm-hmm. it came to us in the church. It came mm-hmm. to us. It came on mm-hmm. our turf and overtook us, and we became it. It did not become us. 
we became it. And that is what I objected to. I never expected Donald Trump to be any different than Donald Trump has been. Never, never. I can't say he disappointed me. He was exactly like I expected him to be. I could not have foreseen what happened to us. I could not Mm. have foreseen it. Mm. And Mm -hmm. that we were just going to sit there and act like it was normal. And so I don't know, y'all. There's no world in which I could have kept my mouth shut. I think one grace that has flowed from you, Beth, like not being able to shut your mouth, as you said. I wonder if other people in the church, other leaders, perhaps especially women with some measure of platform, looked at you speaking up and thought, I have the courage to do it too. Maybe I'm in a bit more precarious situation Mm -hmm. or I'm trying to establish myself. I know for sure that, you know, half of our church or half of our ministry, if I say something, Mm -hmm. is going to push back, is Uh going to. So I think there's something about. Cancel me. Uh Watching. (laughs) I mean, I'm very sorry that you (laughs) about your ongoing social burning at the stake. I have never (laughs) thought about the fact that it could actually be worse than a literal burning where it's just over. Absolutely. Every day. But you are bringing up something. And now I have a little bit of a lump in my throat. And um, because this is a a very tender subject to me and I'm I'm very passionate about it. But I will tell you this because um, I am so not proud of myself in a thousand ways and have so many regrets. But I will say one thing for certain. And that is that one of the things God used to keep me out there, I thought about it every single day, every single day without fail from the very first wave that I could, by the way, that I could not, if you said, what did you see coming? I saw the men coming. I didn't see the women coming, but Mm. I thought in my mind, I thought that to me, I, I wanted to protect us. And I wanted mm-hmm. to take up for us. And I wanted to say, we, are we not worth more than that? And is that what we are? Is our, well, you know what I'm trying to say. And uh, it just was so, so upsetting. But I, I, so I didn't see the women turning mm. on me. And so that was extremely painful. But mm-hmm. every day I thought about the younger women and the really young women that were watching to see if I was going to keep showing up. And I, every day I would say to myself, you have to get out there. Cause I wouldn't want to open it up. Cause the second I, y'all, you cannot believe the things that get said. You can't believe it. And so I'd, in order to say something, I'd have to see that. And then, Mm. so, but I'd say, I don't care if it was like, I'm having enchiladas today, but I said, every day, Beth, every day you have to get on there. You have to get on there because they're going to look to see just no matter what, Beth, no matter what gets said to you, no matter what happens, no matter what you see, you stay out there, you stay out there, you stay out there because they're going to think, oh, I see a woman can be bullied off. And I thought, oh no, 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 I'm not going for Annabeth, my granddaughter, I absolutely will not let them bully me off of here. I'm not going to do it. 
even just seeing the toxicity, even if it's not directly aimed at you, you think, how is this the level of discourse we've sunk to, especially for people of faith, to use this kind of language against someone else? And I have, I mean, I have not done it perfectly either. I remember feeling angry and letting that pour out on Twitter and thinking back like, okay, maybe that wasn't the best avenue. But I do think one reason to stay is just the connections that you, if you love people, you love learning about different walks of life and getting a peek inside people's lives. Also, it's very funny. I was going to say that. And because Caitlin, I've (laughs) laughed at you so many times. I love quirky, absurd people. I just love it. I just love it. I love how funny people are. And I, I have always, you know, I'm a writer. So we Mm -hmm. three tend to like, words, words are on Mm -hmm. pictures. So we love to see people play around with words and say it in some way that has maybe a double meaning or is particularly clever or witty or whatever, or just stupid. Um, I just, (laughs) I love that part. I have enough people that I enjoy on there that I, Mm. that I hang Mm -hmm. out. Um, Mm -hmm. I do. I'm with you. I see the next person. I will tell you that I don't really even enjoy watching people that have been really, really ungracious to me, getting their turn to be at the stake. I, mm. I don't, mm. I don't no. really enjoy it because it's it, ugly. I can feel it so much in my own. It's so mm-hmm. not fun. And when people take on like their kids and mm. stuff, I'm just oh. like, there ought to be some things that are off limits. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell y'all, when you were saying, Caitlin, that there were times when, you, when you're when you sure you've gone too far, like, I can't even count the time. Probably I've gone too far more times than I haven't. <laughs> but one of the things I have is Melissa. And Roxy, you know my Melissa. I do. But yes. Okay. So Melissa really is the kind that will tell me, you know, Mother, I could just tell from your tone that you... <laughs> you probably could use a little break. Mm-hmm. And I'll know that I sounded hysterical. Some of them, and I don't mean funny. I mean that I look uh-huh. like they could put me, one in particular out there that's just like, I just don't, I felt like he's caused such a mess with the whole idea of, uh, of uh, gender roles because of his extreme. And when I was trying to tell him what happened, what was happening to people because of some of the things he was teaching, he was going, now I had not heard that. And I was, I went like out of my mind. Like it was like a rocket went off from my brain. It was like, how can you sit in an office? You help create this situation and you've got no ties to people mm-hmm. who are using that to abuse their wives. I went start raving crazy on Twitter. And she just was, she called me and said, yeah, I think, I think you're going to need to go into timeout. <laughs> Time to go outside. Take a walk. <laughs> See some deer. That's actually, it's really nice to have someone who you love and trust and you yeah. know, they're speaking from that place. It like, is see the things you know, like just be yes. able to say that yeah yes because like I, a timeout is good yeah. for you it's <laughs> good it's a, this brings up something though talking about people being able to talk to us before I was coming out I was telling my staff we were just having lunch together and uh, they are just 
you know, these are my dearest friends. They're the people I, I spend the most time with. I told them that we were coming up to have this conversation. And so we got into it over lunch and started just talking oh, about fine. all of these things. And one of the things that I don't get, I, I still, because I've experienced something very different than this. I don't know how it is that leaders over ministries have somehow disconnected themselves from the life of the ministry where they are not questioned and not held accountable. Right. Everybody's scared of them. We, mm -hmm. I've just never been able to pull off that atmospheric living proof. I mean, the ground is pretty yeah. level here. We're just all like that. I don't know what has gone awry there, but that's mm -hmm. that's a huge part of it is that mm -hmm. when there's no one that can say, well, you are rude to people. You know, you mm -hmm. are, right. what, what are you saying? What is it you're teaching? Mm -hmm. That's a scary place to be if we don't have people up in our business all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you're not the first person to tell us that actually in this series of just the importance of accountability. And I would say, you know, I think a lot of people, especially younger women, look to you as a mentor and see you in that role. And I'm wondering, as you're thinking about this sort of next generation of mm -hmm. women that are stepping yes. into the spotlight at this moment yes. in a very complicated time, mm -hmm. what would you tell them? I mean, besides like... <laughs> be terrified. Like, what, what would you tell them to and how to steward their pl that platform well right now? Oh, absolutely. And in some ways, I think they're better off because we got caught in a vacuum. In, 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 maybe a maelstrom is a better thing to call it, mm. uh, where we got caught up in something we could not have foreseen. Now it has right. been seen. And so I'm hoping that some of our younger uh, speakers and teachers that are coming up are already seeing how very fast a crowd can turn on you and that the mm. same degree to the extent that you are popular because you are liked, you can be popular because you are hated. So I mm -hmm. think in some respects, I think that is better. I think that there's not the naivety that we would have had, that we would have just thought, look what God is doing. Seriously, Roxy, I mean it, that we literally could, could have reasoned with ourselves that one mm -hmm. of the things I wanted to tell you guys because of living in the middle of it, not, and you know, this, not everything big is fake, but everything big is fraught for sure. Yes. For sure. But what we were, there was nothing fake about what we, we lived it and believed it to our bones, but it mm -hmm. is fraught. And anytime it's that big, uh, man, mm -hmm. it is going to come with all sorts of pitfalls. But I think that now there is some understanding of that. Now they've watched people that were mm -hmm. well-known just get, and it's it's everybody. It's just a matter of time. So in mm -hmm. that respect, you know, I, I have higher hopes. In the other respect, now so much of it is digital. I, I don't know what we do mm -hmm. without our skin-to-skin -skin people. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is what worries me here is mm -hmm. that I have these people here at Living Proof whose literal hands I could take hold of. I see their right. faces. I, I know their tears. I know what they're going through. We pray together. We laugh together. We eat together. That we're losing that, the warmth mm -hmm. of 
and in some respects can't help it. It came partially with the pandemic, but mm-hmm. I don't, that's not good. So I see mm-hmm. good things, but one of the things I'm doing this next year, I, we haven't announced it yet, but I'll, I'll tell it to y'all without telling the names, but half of my living proof calendar this next year, I'm bringing a young teacher in with me mm-hmm. to uh, let her have some of, of what would have been my teaching times so that we can let her have that access to teach those people and introduce mm-hmm. those people to her that may not know her. I'm very, very awake to the generations of women coming up, that they have been well-mothered mm-hmm. and well-sistered and befriended in the faith. And if mm-hmm. we're going to do that in this digital world, we better work at it. Yeah, I. the significance of that in-person connection and community and being known, <laughs> like really being known. Yes, yes. People who love you and are not going to hype you up. And That's right. they yes. they love you, they don't adore you, right? right. Like they, right. they, they love all of you, not just the shiny parts. Yes. That seems so important. Thank you so much for your time, Beth. I have one more like lighter question for you. Oh, by all means. One of the things that we really appreciate about what you put out into the world is that you, (laughs) well, you're very funny and you share very funny stories and just share kind of normal moments from your life. You know, like it's, you're not trying to project an image of glitz and glamour and a certain lifestyle. I loved the story recently about your beloved husband, Keith, falling asleep during one of your recent messages. Caitlin, (laughs) I need you to understand that not one bit of that was exaggerated. Not one, <laughs> not one. If anything, I did not tell it as big as it was, but yes, sound asleep, sound asleep. <laughs> what may have been even worse, at least he was only in full view of the choir. He was on the front row yes. while I was speaking. But in the, you know, when you meet in the green room with the circle of very serious people that are really praying about the morning service and mm-hmm. I'd already seen him drowsy. And when we all lifted our heads, his was still down. He literally was out. I could. I <laughs> he was could, deep in prayer. He very was deep so in prayer. Deep. He was so under the burden. <laughs> he was so under the burden. But anyway, oh man, I have to say this to you too, that there is no telling, no telling what God did for me to protect me in all of this crazy life that I've lived for the last 40 years by giving me that man who Mm. just was not impressed with it. Now he loves his wife and he likes, he wants to hear me teach. I I gave him the choice that morning, go to, go to our church or you can come with me. No, I want to go with you. But he's just despises pretense. He's just, Mm -hmm. and he's just a handful. I never could control (laughs) our home life. So I never felt like I could control people out there. My image, because I never knew what my image was going to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because I never knew what <laughs> Keith was going to do. But um, I just, no telling what uh, gratitude mm-hmm. I owe the Lord for just giving me that man. And what you describe, Caitlin, is my favorite thing about people that I follow on Twitter. You do exactly the same thing. What I like the best is uh, my favorite follows are the ones that just live 
the, kind of the, the full experience of their life out there. They, whether mm-hmm. they don't always feel like they need to act like they're teaching a Bible lesson. I, I mm-hmm. think that is what people, it causes people don't trust that. They want, mm-hmm. with some people out there, all I've got in common with them is that maybe we are growing tomatoes. I just look for whatever is that one little thing that will mm-hmm. overlap and enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your yeah. conversation, Beth, I for your it. insights and wisdom. It was for great your to have you here. Yeah. Oh, you. I just loved it. You're talking about such an important subject. Thank you. Thanks for being part of it. We really appreciate it. My great pleasure. My great pleasure. You guys take care. Thank you. I think one time Roxy Beth tweeted about making queso dip and now Mm -hmm. I forever associate Beth more with queso dip. Okay. But lately she's been posting a lot of grape jelly. So, Mm -hmm. or jam, I don't know the difference, but let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Beth Moore, famous Bible teacher, renowned aerobics instructor, (laughs) is also famous for her queso, her cast iron cornbread, and her grape jelly. So, which one do you want? I think I want the jelly on the cornbread. I mean, that's cheating. A little little salty, a little sweet. That sounds good. How do you feel about the queso dip? Is that your choice? I feel like what you're saying is that you chose the other two, so I get left (laughs) with the queso dip. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The way I phrased it was like, well, I chose these two, so I guess you need to have the last So how do you feel about being left left with the queso? Actually, I feel great about being left with the queso. I am a big fan of queso. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't feel slighted by this deal. Spicy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Throw some jalapenos in there. For sure. Say by the City is a religion news service production. The producer is Jay Woodward, and the consulting editor is Paul O'Donnell. We also get production assistance from Elizabeth Wyndham. Chaz Rousseau put together our look, and Martin Fowler wrote our theme music. We are Caitlin Beatty. And Roxy Stone. Thanks for for listening. listening.